if you're able, um, comfortably able, would you remain standing to honor God's word? Just two verses this morning, I'm going to be reading from Romans 12, beginning at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning, Mountain View. Welcome to worship this day. Um, isn't it wonderful? The, the, wasn't the music so far just amazing this morning? You all know that Nancy Sowers is the number one flautist in the whole state of Arizona. Do you all know that? No, no, no. She's right here. Number one. We voted. We voted. Yes. It was unanimous. Yes. No, that's true. That is true. What a gift. Hey, if uh, you've been with us uh, through this series on Romans, it's been quite a journey. We've made it through 11 chapters. We're up to the 12th chapter now, and we've seen some incredible heights of uh, triumphant uh, words and truths that Paul has given to us. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an incredible verse. How about this? No one can, nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Today, Paul is going to shift and give us a charge and encouragement. He's going to point us in the right directions about how to live this life in response. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this, your word, which is eternal, which does not change. And we pray now that you would teach us and that you, your voice would be the one that we hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to focus just on verse 1 this morning. Just one verse for this sermon. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters... By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul uses the word therefore to begin chapter 12. Someone has said when you hear the word, when you see the word therefore, you should ask, what's it there for, right? Um, grammatically, the word therefore signals a transition, a shift in thinking, or the drawing of a conclusion all of which appear to be in play here in Romans 12. There is a noticeable change in direction here. For most of the first 11 chapters in Romans, Paul has focused on what grammarians call the indicative tense. It's the verb tense used when to describe something that has already happened. In this case, Paul has taught us. He is, he is in wonderful ways, has shown us what God has done. 12 chapters, 11 chapters to tell us the glories, the mercies, the grace, the forgiveness, the saving power, all that God has done, things that have happened in Jesus Christ. And in Christ, God has saved us. But now in chapter 12, Paul spends the rest of this letter using what grammar grammarians call the imperative. 
the verb tense changes here. It, now the focus shifts to, now what do we do in response? What about us? What about the church? What about Mountain View? In light of all that God has done, what do we hear this morning? What do Mountain Viewers, how do we respond? How do we live our lives? How are our actions dictated in response to what God has done? Therefore, Paul says, this is our response. This is how we are to live in response to this indescribable gift. I urge you, brothers and sisters, he says, in view of God's mercy, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. That's our response. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like those two words don't really belong together. Living and sacrifice. I think Paul is a little playful here. I think he's trying to catch our attention. He's trying to awaken our senses. A living sacrifice. Now, there are several words in the New Testament that talk about love. Of course, there's the great love word in the New Testament, agape. We're going to hear that word later on in this series. Um, there's also the great word grace. But this word that Paul uses here is translated as mercies. This means concrete, specific acts of love. What Paul is saying is, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the concrete, tangible, specific act, acts of the love of God that you've experienced, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, there's a couple surprises here. First, we ordinarily think of something sacrificed, sacrificial, as something dead. We think of a little animal that is slain and the blood is used as a sacrifice on the altar in the Jewish tradition. Or we might think of grain sacrifices where you have a harvest and then the first fruits has been already cut. It's, it's already been separated. It, it's died. But Paul surprises us here. God does not want us dead. Paul could have said, in light of all that God has done, sacrifice your body on the altar, become a martyr. He could have said that. Give your life as he gave your life to him, to you. He could have said that, but he doesn't. God wants you and me alive. He wants us to be living sacrifices. He's not saying you need to do something so heroic in response to what God has done, equal to the task. No, he wants us alive. He wants us to be a part of. He wants us to be um, usable and workable in this world. It's a play on words. It, it surprises us, a living sacrifice. The second surprise here is that Paul uses the word body. Bodies. Paul might be disappointing some of his Greek uh, hearers, readers of this, who taught a lot and thought a lot about, they didn't talk about the body too much, but they talked about the spirit, the soul, spirituality. I, Paul could have said, I urge you in light of the love of God to present your souls he didn't say that. Um, it's a wonderful word. The Greeks thought very highly of the souls. The, the Gnostic movement would come and try and spiritualize everything and say that the body really doesn't matter. The physical world doesn't matter. Everything is spirit, and that's all that matters. That was very popular thought in Paul's day. He doesn't say that. He says, I want you to present your bodies here. 
the very you, your concrete self in the service in response to the love of God. I urge you, because of the love of God, the concrete love of God, to present your concrete self. Paul's not really interested here in the spiritual side, the spiritual self. He's not really interested in talking about the soul. He's talking about something physical. You know, we live in a world that talks a lot about spiritual and even soul. People say, I'm, I'm spiritual. But in a way, that's very easy because it's really hard to define, is it not? I mean, if you ask somebody, what do you mean by that? And really push them, what do you mean by I'm spiritual? It's very tough to define. And so in that way, it's, it's kind of easy. So that's what Paul's saying. You're you, your body, your arms, your legs, the things that make up you, the things you can touch. I think you ought to and I ought to use those things in the service of the Lord. Here's one paraphrase of this verse. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Paul says, let's not turn you and me into some kind of phantom or ghost. But no, the walking, the eating, the sleeping, the things that you do, let's turn those into an offering for, to God. Give your whole self over to God. Meaning we no longer live for ourselves. This is a, an offering we give to God. I mean, think about the phrases. I mean, if we turned on the news, um, I bet if we turned on the TV and just listened for a while this afternoon or, or read the newspaper, we would hear these phrases. We would hear them several times. It's my body. We hear that over and over again. It's my body. I get to do whatever I want with it. It's mine. It's my life. I get to make my own decisions. Right? It's my future. It's mine. It belongs to me. <coughs> Only I can control it, they say. It's my decision. Only I can make it. These are ubiquitous phrases in our society. We hear them constantly. And then we come to church and we study and we hear the words of the creed that say, in life and in death, we belong to God. It's not my life. It's not my decision. It's not my future. It's not my body. In life and death, God owns us. We belong to him. And so when we come to Christ, when we become a, a, a living sacrifice, we, we admit, we say, God, this is yours. This belongs to you. Use it. I trust you trust you. We give up ownership. And so he makes the decisions. He sets the course. He decides salvation. He sets the number of our days. And what Paul's saying here is the place to begin always, the, always the starting point is to you, for you and I to consider what God has done. It's always the place to start. Consider all that God has done, all that he has given the knowledge that God delights in you, that God enjoys giving, that he gives freely, generously, lavishly. We never have to twist his arm or pressure him. He's constantly giving. Just think for a moment about all that God has given you, freely given to you. Your life, your health, 
the next breath you're about to take given by God. Your energy, your talents, your ability to work, to think, to play, to love, your relationships, the people around you who surround you with love, your resources, your possessions, your financial material blessings, your salvation. Which of these did you earn? Which of these can you say, um, actually, no, that's mine. I created it. It's all about me. They are all gifts from a generous, giving God. And it's wonderful, and it's glorious. And Paul spent these 11 chapters saying, brothers and sisters, Mountain View Presbyterians, can I tell you something? He's so good. He's so giving. He's so wonderful. It's beyond anything I can say, anything I can think. I'm trying my best to describe to you what he's done, how lavishly he's given to you. And, and Paul gets close many times, but he still can never fully describe how good and wonderful and generous God is. It's unimaginable. It's wonderful. And then Paul says, now, now that we know this, what are we going to do? How are we going to live? Present your bodies as an offering to God. Say, God, thank you. I understand you've given, you've sustained, you continue. Everything belongs to you. Now I'm going to return it back to you and say, use me. Use what you've done and let's, let's let it happen in our world. Now, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually gives us, he gives us many, but in a Sermon on the Mount, just in a couple short verses, Jesus talks about, what it means to give your body as a living sacrifice. He gives four examples of what this will look like in my life and your life, of what it would look like. The first is, he says, I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. Turn the other cheek. Don't hit back. Jesus is not talking about a spiritual thing. He's not saying, feel like you won't hit back. <laughs> He's not saying, um, actually, this is a metaphor for something else. Jesus says, if someone strikes you on your body, turn the other cheek as to present it to them as well. That's a pretty concrete, specific act. And what he's saying is, we're not going to retaliate. We're not going to hit back when you're harmed. This is right at the heart of Jesus' kingdom. Think about our world right now. <laughs> when someone is harmed, when someone is wronged, what is the first natural response we hear and we think and we say, well, I'm going to hurt them. They're going to pay. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way it's going to work in my kingdom. We're going to have people who present their bodies as a living sacrifice. They're going to turn the other cheek. He then says, if someone wants to sue you to take your shirt, this is the inner garment worn next to the skin, give your adversary your coat as well, the outer garment, like a cloak. This is interesting. See, Jewish law said if someone owed you, you could sue for their inner garment. If you're going to go to court, if someone owes you something, you can go to court and you can say, take their inner garment to recover your loss, but you couldn't take the cloak, the outer garment. That was off limits. 
Jesus says, when the judge says, take their inner, go ahead and hand them the outer also as a generous act. Give your coat as well. You see the concrete, specific nature of that. If someone sues you, if someone give, give them more than that they're even asking for. Maybe you've heard the phrase, go the extra mile. You know where this comes from? That phrase, go the extra mile. It comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Roman law said, now remember, Rome is, is the occupying country. They are the soldiers in your land who are making you pay taxes, who are terrorizing your people. Roman law said that a soldier um, could force a Jewish person to carry his backpack, battle gear, for up to one mile. So here comes Rome marching through your town. You hate that they're there. You can't stand the fact that they're there and who they are. Roman law said you could pull somebody out of the crowd and say, you carry my pack for a mile. That was the law. How would you feel about that law? That's a terrible law. I mean, that's awful. Take it for a mile. You have to carry it. But Jesus said, if they do that, walk two miles. Walk two miles. Even though you're not required to, carry his gear a second mile. The soldier won't expect that, and maybe he and the onlookers were, will reconsider this unjust law. Who knows? Or at least they're going to wonder, what is so different about this person? Jesus is saying, do something unexpected, something creative, something neither vengeful nor passive. Return good for evil. Return evil for good. Turn it into something wonderful. You know, in our, in our day and age, sometimes we hear... Um, and, and I wish we didn't because the media plays this up really big, but sometimes Christians will refuse to offer service to someone who wants it because of the, their lifestyle, the way they're living. Right? We hear about this, and sometimes it goes up to the Supreme Court because Christians say, no, I, don't, I object to the way you're living your life, and so I'm going to refuse service, and you can't have what I'm offering. And the media picks on this, and it goes berserk and um, it's all about religious freedom and let me be clear I am 100% for religious freedom I think people who fight for religious freedom bless them it's wonderful I want it you want it we want to live in a society where there is religious freedom but I wonder in light of this if a better approach instead of showing our anger and our judgment would be we'll go the extra mile See, we want people who disagree with us, like Roman soldiers or whoever, to see our love, to, see our, to be surprised by our generosity, to be shocked that they may know that we disagree with their lifestyle, but, but we're going to lavish love and generosity on them anyway? That's a wonderful witness. This is what Jesus is talking about here. No one loves the Romans, and when they ask you to walk a mile, Jesus says, stun them. Go to. Let them see that. And then Jesus, the fourth one, he says, Gives, give to everyone who asks of you, begs of you. Do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. What we see in each of these illustrations that Jesus gives is the creative response that's loving. It's not vengeful or passive. Turn the cheek. Hand over the coat. Go the second mile. Hand over. Give financially to those who ask. Notice that Jesus addresses this to individual disciples. This is not a word that is given to government officials, 
law enforcement courtroom. This is you and I when it's given to us, the opportunity. Paul spent 11 chapters on the indicative. Look what God has done. But now he says, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we can do. We can surprise people with our generosity. We could lavish on people the love that God has lavished upon us. You know, some people sometimes ask, I'll, I'll get this question. And it's phrased kind of like this. Um, are you one of those evangelical churches? They'll ask me. Are you one of those evangelical churches that always talks about Jesus in the Bible? Or are you one of those social justice churches that's always serving others and speaking out about political issues? And the answer is, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. You know, in John Calvin's Geneva, one, one author wrote this about Calvin's Geneva. These are, this is our great hero of our Reformed faith, that the pastors in Geneva... They defended the cause of the helpless orphans, poor laborers, mistreated prisoners, despised refugees, and social misfits. They also worked to root out social and economic injustice and were specially tasked to provide help and aid in times of plague. Isn't that wonderful? Of course, we talk about Jesus. We love this, the scriptures. This is what Paul is saying in the first 11 chapters. We have to. We have to. And in response to that, and by the way, I have to be reminded of that continually. We all do. But in response, when we see injustice, we speak. When we see someone who is down, we lend a hand. We pull up. We want a society where we have a, a whole lot of people in the church who are being a living sacrifice, using their bodies and resources to help those in need. In 1983, there was a Presbyterian medical missionary named Dr. Eleanor Chestnut, and she arrived in China to build and staff a new hospital. So desperate was the situation when she got there that she bought the needed bricks and mortar with her own money to, to build a little hospital or room so they can be completed. The, the need for medical services was so pressing. She ended up performing surgeries in her own bathroom. One operation involved the amputation of a laborer, a common laborer, his, his leg, the amputation of his leg. Complications arose and skin grafts were needed. A few days later, another doctor asked Chestnut um, why she was limping. Oh, it's nothing, she said, it's nothing. It wasn't until later that a nurse revealed that the skin graft for the patient came from Dr. Chestnut's very own leg, taken with only a local anesthetic. She took her own skin off to repair and help someone in deep need. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That brings new meaning to the phrase, doesn't it? 
I do not think that we are called, and I don't think Paul calls us to literally follow this example, but I think it's a wonderful example. But I think Paul is very aware, and I think we are very aware, that we have a hurting world around us. There are amputations everywhere in spirit and in body. We have so many people around us that could benefit from the mission of this church, the evangelism of this church, and I know so many are. I also know that we have the means. And I don't think the world around us needs more anger or judgment. They don't need our cynicism. They need us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Last word. Please notice, before we finish, that Jesus gave those four examples that he took on all of them on himself. Jesus was slapped on the cheek. He turned the other cheek. The soldiers will spit on him, blindfold him, punch him, but Jesus will not hit back. Jesus' coat will be taken from him, and the Roman soldiers will strip him naked before nailing him to the cross. Jesus will be forced to walk all the way to Golgotha under the heavy weight of a Roman cross. And today, friends, Jesus gives to all who ask. Let us pray. Lord, we hear the generous mercies that you give to us each and every day. Help us to be a living response. Help us to live in light of the glory of who you are. To help those in need. To give generously. To not hit back. To present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Help us this week we humbly pray in Jesus name. Amen.